Well, so good to see you all here on this uh, Memorial Day weekend Sunday. Thank you for joining us online as well. You heard Pastor Luke mention that tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's a very important day for us to honor the brave men and women who gave their lives in service to our country. Would you stand, if you're able to, would you stand with me? We want to take a moment to honor the fallen, those who have given their lives in service to our country. And if you would do this for me, let's join our hearts together in a moment of silent prayer as we go before the Lord and thank Him for the sacrifices that were made. Would you bow with me? Father, we are so thankful. Thankful for the sacrifices that were made. For the brave men and women who have given their lives in service to our country. So we pause today to recognize, to recognize what you've done through their lives. And I pray tomorrow as we uh, enjoy Memorial Day Monday, that we would also reflect and pause and give thanks to you for your goodness. And so we thank you for the privilege we have to do this today on this Sunday morning. And now as we open up your word, God, would you uh, transform us in a way that would make us more like Jesus, help us to be more like him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. The title for my message this morning is Receive the Word, Practice the Word. Receive the Word, Practice the Word. We are in week three of a 12-week journey through the book of James. And what we'll see today is that for the Word of God to take full effect in our lives, it must come alive. That's why we've titled our series, Faith Alive. The book of James is as practical as they come. Chances are, every time you open up to the book of James and you read a passage, you're going to walk away thinking, oh yeah, I could apply that to my life right now. This book, written by the half-brother of Jesus, written to new believers, was to encourage them and to exhort them and to keep them accountable in their new faith. And so many of the issues that James talks about, we can apply to our situation in the 21st century. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. So we're bringing chapter 1 to a close today. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to James 1, starting in verse 19. I'll read to you verses 19, 20, and 21 to begin our time. This is what James writes. He says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness 
and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So James exhorts every one of us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, James will have so much more to talk about this subject in chapter 3. So here in chapter 1, what we're getting is just simply a foretaste of what is to come. And he does this in a very proverbial way. Keep in mind, James was so heavily influenced by Jewish wisdom literature. In fact, if we go back to Proverbs, we see a few very similar passages In Proverbs 16, in verse 32, it says this, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. And then in Proverbs 19, verse 11, it says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. The Word of God calls us to be slow to speak, slow to anger. There's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? You've heard that before. You know, this proverb, it's helpful in so many situations. But I want to go back to the original immediate context, that situation, why James wrote what he wrote. When James says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, what he has in mind is, whenever we approach God's word, that's the attitude we must take. You see, at that time, in the early church, church services were held very informally. That means on any given Sunday morning, when the teacher started to teach, people would just automatically interrupt him. They wouldn't even raise their hands. Some people would just get up and say, no, I think you're wrong. Now, thankfully, you're much kinder than that. You're more gracious to me. Thank you, okay? I don't see any of you going, I object! So thank you for that. Keep it up. Good work. But apparently, there were a lot of debates and a lot of arguments within church services. And so James reminds these new believers, wait a minute, be quick to hear, but be slow to speak and slow to anger. A combative, argumentative attitude should never describe the follower of Jesus Christ. Even in disagreement, in fact, especially in disagreement. How we conduct ourselves speaks volumes about the level of our spiritual maturity. It's never a bad idea to listen more than we speak. And of course, the idea is that we listen carefully and not let it go in one ear and out the other. I love the way this commentator puts it. He says this, Good listeners make good company. Good listeners make good friends. Good listeners make good learners. Good listeners then 
make good teachers. Good listeners make good company. Good listeners make good friends. Good listeners make good learners. Good listeners then make good teachers. And I'll tell you, that quote, it, it convicted me this past week. This was a great reminder for me that as I prepare to come and share God's word, that I must not fast forward that crucial step of listening to God's word before I start to formulate all that I want to say up here. And by the way, in a gathering like this, for those who are watching online, we have people at every stage in the spiritual journey with us today. Some of you may be brand new to the Bible, and that is wonderful. That is exciting. Some of you may be veterans. You've read the Bible maybe countless times over. But no matter where we are in the spiritual journey, no matter our familiarity with the Bible, the great news is, is that we can always learn and grow in our Bible knowledge. And by the way, I encourage you, if you want to get more familiar with the Bible, go on to our website, efreedb.org, and in the search bar, just type in resources. And that'll take you to a page where you can look up some Bible reading plans that we recommend. There are some wonderful plans out there that will help you to grow in your faith, to grow deeper in God's Word. And James calls it the implanted Word in verse 21. We are to receive the implanted Word with humility and meekness. The beauty of God's Word is this. And maybe you've seen this in your own life. You can read a passage over and over again. And every time, you might learn something new from that passage. Now, that's not because God's Word somehow changes from season to season. God's Word never changes. We change. As we grow, as we mature, we see God's Word come alive in new and fresh ways. We see God's Word being brought to fruition. I know that some of you like to garden. I know some of you grow your own fruits and vegetables in your yard. I know that because I've tasted the fruits of your labor. When we moved into our house 14 years ago, it was a new construction. We were the first owners, brand new. In our area, a new construction meant that when you walked out into the backyard, all you saw was dirt. You had to design your own backyard and implement your backyard. And so in the early days, as our backyard started to take shape, one day Joanne's parents came over and they brought several plants. And they took a whole afternoon planting different plants in our backyard. And amongst the plants was this tiny little lemon tree. And they found a beautiful corner with this lemon tree. And I was like, wow, I can't wait. And I thought, this is going to be wonderful. And I was expecting next month I'd have lemons. 
tells you how much I know. Well, a month passed, and then a year passed, and then two years, and then three years, I'm like, where are my lemons? I eventually learned that it takes several years for a lemon tree to grow to produce the fruit. But after a number of years, I started to see the fruits of that tree. And now, this is what we get. (laughs) How about them lemons? (laughs) So last night, our dinner was salmon. So every time we have salmon, Joanne goes, honey, can you go out and pick a lemon? And so, as I thought about this passage in front of us today, the implanted word, as we receive his word with meekness and humility, we will see it come to fruition. We will see big, bright, yellow lemons. As followers of Jesus Christ, our faith will be evidenced by our fruit. As we receive the word with meekness, it will take root and produce fruit. We must receive the word with humility and meekness. But it doesn't stop there. It's only part of spiritual growth. We receive the word And then we are to practice the word. James talks about this in the next section. Look at verses 22 to 25. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, I imagine most of us, when we got up this morning, we spent at least a couple minutes in front of the mirror, I hope. The fact is, the mirror is an important object. That's why it's no surprise that the Word of God is likened to a mirror. Now, most of our mirrors today, they're made of glass. But that wasn't the case in the ancient world. In the ancient world, mirrors were made out of polished metal, like bronze. And in fact, we still see those kinds of mirrors today. If you go into some public restrooms, like at parks, it's just a sheet of metal. If you want to see what you look like, if you want to see all your blemishes, you have to look really carefully into that sheet of metal. And in verse 24, when James talks about the man who looks at himself in the mirror and immediately walks away and he forgets what he looks like, what he's telling us is this. The follower of Jesus Christ who hears the word but does not act on the word 
is like that one who studies his face in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. Notice in James 1, verse 25, he calls this the perfect law or the law of liberty. And James uses this word law because he knows that the recipients of his letter, that they would understand what that meant. Because he was writing to new believers who were Jewish Christians. So they knew their law. They knew their law inside and out. But James calls it the perfect law. He says it's not simply the Old Testament law. It is the sum total of God's revealed truth, which was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember in week one, we said not only was James influenced by wisdom literature from a Jewish perspective, he was also influenced by his own brother's sermon on the mount. And this is what his brother said in his sermon. In Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Today, you and I, we have the complete Bible. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Combined, they make up the Bible. But did you know that those in the New Testament, they didn't have the Bible as you and I know it today? That's because, well, they were the New Testament. They were living out what we have on print today. They were the New Testament. And so when James says, receive with meekness the implanted word, not only is he talking about the Old Testament scriptures, which they would have known, he's also talking about God's revealed truth to the person of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And church, I want you to know that this was good news for those young believers. You see, because for some of them, no matter how hard they tried, in fact, all of them, no matter how hard they tried, they could never fulfill the law perfectly. No matter how hard they tried, they could never keep all 600 and some laws perfectly. No one can keep the law perfectly. I'm pretty sure that the person sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you right now or the person sitting in your shoes right now, I'm pretty sure every one of us who can drive has at least once in our lives driven 66 miles an hour in a 65-mile-per-hour zone, at least once. No one is perfect. No one is blameless. But because of God's mercy, which was accomplished through the work of Jesus on the cross, you and I have been made whole. We've been made complete. And get this, We are perfect 
because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And because of that, we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to act on the implanted word, not just simply to receive it. Receiving the word is important, yes, but it's only the starting point. You see, coming here on Sundays, tuning in online on Sundays, going to your Bible studies, having life groups, those are all so important, but they are just the starting point. It's what we do with that knowledge that determines the level of our spiritual maturity. It's what we do with that knowledge that determines the level of our spiritual maturity. And I'm going to tell you something that you already know, and that's this. Living out what we know up here, it is oh so hard. Because here's what happens. Impatience gets in the way. Laziness gets in the way. Indifference and selfishness and jealousy and resentment and anger, they get in the way. It takes a lot of work to live out our faith. You know, when we, when we gave our life to Jesus, our identity changed, but it doesn't mean that our behavior changed just like that. That's why James wrote this letter, to exhort the new believers who are struggling to live according to their new identity in Christ. Some of you may know this, but when we talk about the process of salvation, we can generally look at it in three stages. We have justification, we have sanctification, and then we have glorification. We were justified the moment our lives were given to Jesus. That was an instantaneous event. It doesn't happen over and over again. It was one point in time. We were justified. Our identity changed. We were no longer identified by our old self. One day in the future, we will be glorified. What that means is this. You and I, get ready, you're going to get excited about this. You and I will be given new bodies. <laughs> there, I, that, I love that honesty. That, that's praiseworthy. We will be given bodies that are no longer susceptible to disease and illness and injury. I'm going to tell you something. These days, it's harder for me to get out of bed. It takes a little bit more time. One day in the future, we will be given glorified bodies. Between justification and glorification is a stage known as sanctification. You can describe the threefold process this way. Justification, what God has done for us. Sanctification, what God is doing in us. Glorification, what God will do for us. And this stage that we're in right now is a lifelong process where we learn to be more like Jesus. And we could use a lot more help to be more like Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Thankfully, 
the Christian life was never meant to be living, to be lived alone. The Christian life was meant to be experienced within community, where we can encourage one another and exhort one another and keep one another accountable. You know, now that gyms are open, some of you are getting back to your daily fitness routines. Some of you may even have trainers. The purpose of a trainer is to help others achieve their goals. So they motivate you and they challenge you and they stretch you to make you better, right? When you only want to do five push-ups, they say, no, give me 25. When you want to sleep in a little bit more, they say, no, don't hit that snooze button. See, trainers, coaches, they help us achieve our goals. So think of James's letter as an accountability letter. Think of James as our trainer, our spiritual trainer. You know, in the book of James, there are only five chapters. That's it. There are 108 verses. That's it. It's a relatively short letter. But in those 108 verses, James gives us no fewer than 60 practical ways to live out your faith. That's an average of more than one per every two verses. And he gives us a handful in just the next two verses alone. Look at verses 26 and 27. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In this section, James contrasts true religion with one that is hypocritical. And he gives us a sobering reminder. And that's this. The hypocrisy of one's religion is exposed by the tongue. The hypocrisy of one's religion is exposed by the tongue. In other words, our righteousness or lack thereof is determined by how well we can control the tongue. We can study the Bible all we want. We can attend worship service after worship service. We can go to conference after conference. But if we cannot bridle the tongue, James says that our religion is worthless. He does not mince words. You know, the true test of spirituality is not how well we can articulate something. The true test of spirituality is how well we can bridle the tongue. One author says this, discretion in speech is better than fluency of speech. You know, someone can articulate really well. Someone can talk eloquently. 
Someone can win a speech debate and yet be very far from God. And the reality is this. We get in trouble far more often by saying too much than not saying enough. That's why Proverbs 17, verse 27, or 28, says this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. (laughs) I love it. That ought to be on our, the inside of our front door as we leave our home every single day. It ought to be in our rearview mirror in the car. Try this. Okay, this coming week, the next time you're in the middle of a conversation that you know is headed in the wrong direction, try this. In the middle of that conversation, whether it's with your spouse maybe another family member, a friend, a coworker. The next time you're in the middle of a conversation that you know is headed in the wrong direction, and by conversation, I'm going to include in there verbal, email, text. This week, when faced with another awkward conversation that you know could potentially end badly, if you're given the opportunity to get in the last word, don't take it. Just don't take it. That is about the hardest thing for us to do. Because if I don't get something off my chest, I'm just going to explode, right? The need to get in the last word and to defend ourselves, it comes so naturally to us. You know, It's easy for me to take my own side in an argument. Do you know that? Did you know that I agree with myself all the time? (laughs) All the time. So, when I feel misunderstood or mistreated, it's so difficult to hold the tongue. The true test of spirituality is how well we can bridle the tongue, not how much we know up here. James, again, will have so much more to say about this in chapter 3. You're going to have to hold on to your seats in chapter 3 because he's going to get very real in chapter 3. This is just the appetizer. But James closes out chapter 1 with a call to compassion. He talks about orphans and widows. Orphans and widows were amongst the most powerless people in the ancient world. That is why orphans and widows held a very special place in God's redemptive plan. In fact, if we were to survey the entire Old Testament, you would see verse after verse talking about God's heart for the helpless. 
Here are just a few of those verses. In Exodus 22, verses 22 and 23, it says this, You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Now, I didn't, I didn't include verse 24. So on your own, go read verse 24. And you'll see what God has to say about those who mistreat the orphans and widows. In Psalm 68, verse 5, it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And in Psalm 82, verse 3, it says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. My friends, the message for us today is this. Pure and undefiled religion is one that demonstrates compassion to the vulnerable. To those who cannot speak for themselves. This includes orphans. This includes widows. But I want you to know this, that James wasn't giving us an exhaustive list here. He was giving us two very specific, important examples that applied in that situation because there were many orphans and widows who were being neglected. And James calls upon the church to come to their rescue, to meet their needs. For us today, the vulnerable includes the orphans and widows. But the vulnerable also includes the hungry, the homeless, the physically disabled, the elderly, the refugee, and so many more. You see, James wasn't calling the church to feel badly about someone's situation. James was calling the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus. True religion is not feeling bad about someone's situation. True religion is doing something about it. An unknown author captured the way in which we so religiously fall short of Christ's command. And here's what the author had to write, and I warn you, this is going to be convicting because it it convicted me. So I'm speaking this just to myself. You can just listen if you like. The unknown author said this, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. I was imprisoned, and you crept off quietly to your chapel and prayed for my release. I was naked, and in your mind, you debated the morality of my appearance. I was sick, 
and you knelt and thanked God for your health. I was homeless, and you preached to me of the shelter of the love of God. I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God. But I'm still very hungry and lonely and cold. My prayer is that the book of James will take the compassion that God has filled our church with, and he has filled our church with so much compassion. But my prayer is that he will take the book of James to motivate us to take that compassion to a whole new level. And maybe for us individually and as a church, this might mean that we renew our commitment to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the vulnerable. And maybe that we would do that in a way that we've never, ever done before. God's filled our church with compassionate hearts. Maybe God's using you right now to spur others on to act on what we know. So I look forward. I look forward to the days ahead as we unfold this book to see how God's going to use you to lead us and our church to be compassionate like Jesus in the way that we've never, ever seen before. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you so much for the challenge of your word. God, it it is challenging. It is so challenging. Father, I'm accountable to your word because I've studied it and I've shared it. Those here and those watching online were now accountable because they've chosen to listen to your word. So help us, Lord, to take the implanted word and to practice it in our lives. To do so this week, that we don't wait till the following week, that this week, when the conversation arises where we know that it's going the wrong way and we could do something about it, that we would bridle the tongue. That when an opportunity to be compassionate comes our way, that we would not hurry off somewhere else. but that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus. God, would you give me the courage? Would you give my friends here the courage? Would you give our church the courage to do just that? We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.